How's everybody doing? Uh, yo, happy Monday. Hope everybody had a blessed uh, day. You feel me? Cold as hell this morning, but it feels beautiful right now. So hope everybody's blessed, living in health. All that good jazz. Woo! I just wanted to think out loud something that I've been brainstorming. Like, I got a true social account, and I be trolling, but I ain't never really like trolling. I think right now Trump is at his most vulnerable, and that would be the best time to troll this nigga. You know what I'm saying? Is Trump to see the reaction? Who, who, where's my battlefield? Can I rally troops? Will people start talking about violence? And in what way? And 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 then you know, can I even get the DA to make a statement? Maybe saying no, it's not Tuesday or or, or something. And can I can I shape the narrative there? That that's a counter intel op that he's doing. We we kind of fell for it in a sense. Now this network was quick to say, hey, there's no corroboration that this indictment's coming tomorrow or anytime th this week, but. Yeah, we're, we're all talking about it, and he is shaping the narrative. So law enforcement's got it, got this real challenge where they're going to watch people. You know, it, it serves law enforcement's purpose also to check the traps, the extremist groups and chat rooms. How are they responding to the trial balloon? So there's pros and cons to what Trump has done. Yeah, and as you say, when it comes to checking that, uh, many people monitor this. Ben Collins has been monitoring for NBC uh, some of those places, and some of that stuff's private, but some of it we know takes place on uh, on forums and spaces that are somewhat hard to find, but that are technically public. Uh, Mr. Collins saying there's been scattered anger, but no concrete plan emerging at this time. That's something we're also tracking because, again, uh, no, we're not just repeating what the president says. We're monitoring the threat. Uh, thanks to Frank and Rick coming up on this supersized edition of The Beat as we watch and wait for anything that comes out. Uh, there's news out of Georgia. I mentioned this. We haven't had time to get to it yet. Alright, so, yeah, today is Trump Day, because tomorrow's Tuesday, so something gonna happen, like, fuck it, it's gonna happen in it. Yeah, so, yeah, I have my thoughts on this whole thing, I'm not gonna share it right now, because, eh, I don't know, planning out the rest of my day, and for, like, people that aren't built like me, that would be so simple, you probably already have some shit on your calendar, I'm not built that way, unfortunately. <laughs> It'd be nice, though. Oh, the dream, yeah. Y'all are better at conformity than me. But that's a whole nother conversation. This Trump shit. They, they go, the first, if the first indictment is because of a porn star, like if that ain't irony at display, you feel me, the whole name fucked. Melania, if she didn't, no, go, no. Nigga, you facilitated the whole thing. It's just like, I know people saying Georgia and, uh, Letitia James, her civil case, and I'm like, bro, nah. What means the most to Trump? Take away the power, the take away the brand. You know what I'm saying? Take away the brand. He's one of them white boys. Like, there's different type of white boys. They all have one thing that really is their idol that means the most to them. But for all of them, it's not their name. What my name means for a lot of folks in the South. Yeah, a lot of them white boys. You know who my daddy is? Yo, that's what his name is. What's your name? I call you by your first name. <laughs> you feel me? Come on now. Don't play with me. But it's just Trump is one of those white boys where, like, everything's in a name. Take away his name, he's nothing. That's why he's so defensive. That's why he's been bullshitting on Truth Social. That's why I'm on Truth Social, thinking about how I'm going to make the next move with it. I started this new hashtag, Take Back Our Nation, T-B-O-N. <laughs> and I'm about to hype the fuck out of that shit. You know what I'm saying? Just to do it, just to see what happens. I want to see how kooky these motherfuckers are. At one point, I might say I'm cute. You never know.
But it's just like, I'm laughing about this shit because like, what if it does work and that becomes a thing? Then I got the FBI knocking at my motherfucking door. I ain't got time for that, man. <laughs> I live a very, very simple life. I want to keep it that way. As a nigga that does a weekly podcast about controversial topics and oftentimes you're drunk. Yeah, they ain't knocked at my door yet. <laughs> Yo, let me knock on wood. There you go. I'm knock on the glass too. Fuck it. Slap that bitch. The glass, not a female. All right. But yeah, this Trump shit has me intrigued. I've been following this story. So I'm going to go back to MSNBC. Performances from Meryl Streep and... But hope everybody has a great rest of your week. In translation, in English or Spanish. I hope they indict this motherfucker, bro. You feel me? I really do. And it's not on some vendetta shit. It's just like... For it to be a porn star. Because there's more shit coming down the pipes. You heard me. It was an update in the Georgia case today. They want to talk to another witness. Well, that'll be all in the news tomorrow. But just the fact that they they setting up. Oh, you already know this man about to get indicted. That's why he he going crazy on Truth Social. Welcome back. You are watching MSNBC yeah, yeah. 5 p.m. Eastern. I am Lisa Nicole, so this is AKA right now the live and supersized edition of The Beat. I'm Ari Melber. We are watching Ari. all the fallout from Y'all Donald Trump good, saying man. this weekend that he'll be arrested. He mean, that means he could become the first president ever arrested and indicted. The DA in New York appears to be poised to wrap up this probe, and that means either they reach a declination, they don't charge him, or when the probe ends, they do. An indictment of Trump would be significant and literally historic. Here's how the New York Times puts it. He would be fingerprinted. He would be photographed. And based on the true social posts over the past few days, the threat clearly has Trump rattled. I've told you, if you've been watching earlier, you're just joining us now at the top of the 5 p.m., Mr. Michael Cohen, who was down on the premises today where the grand jury was meeting, joins me live. That's in our next hour, so you may be interested to stick around for that. But we have a lot going on now, Maya Wiley and others standing by. Where we are right now is a nation that is watching a president, a former president, say... He's going to be indicted. That may or may not be true, but that's what he says. Then you have his lawyers down in Georgia attacking a case where, and this is important, he hasn't been charged at all. So that itself is a little unusual. They filed a motion attacking the Atlanta DA's basically probe and report up to this point. So that's the first official filing, in a way, by Trump's team in the probe. We've heard from his lawyers. We know they're out there. But this is drawing questions about why they're doing it right now. The new filing is Donald Trump basically trying to have his lawyers move in that probe for what exact reasons only they know. But their argument is that this whole thing has been unfair. They take about 50 pages plus 400 pages of other exhibits and evidence to argue that the special grand jury is basically tainted and unconstitutional. And they say that thus the DA should be disqualified from any further investigation or prosecution in this matter. They say the DA has been political. One section pulls, for example, this is an image right here from the filing itself, where they say that this cartoon that you see is sort of in black and white, courtesy of one of her campaign Twitter accounts, depicts her, the DA, fishing, a recently subpoenaed witness out of a swamp. And they say that kind of cartoon, a political cartoon, could influence witnesses, it's not appropriate in this kind of investigation of this significance, and that it undercuts 
the idea that this is an independent and apolitical probe. They also take aim at public comments that you may recall by the grand jury four-person and comments of five other juries have made in the local press and which have been reported nationally. The filing saying, quote, collectively those jurors' statements reveal a tainted process incapable of producing valuable evidentiary material. And throughout that four-person's media tour and the subsequent statements of additional grand jurors, it became apparent this grand jury was improperly supervised or worse, improperly instructed from the outset. As for the DA side, no comment yet in public from them. Just this afternoon, there was an update, though, in the probe. ABC News reporting the prosecutors in the DA's office requested an interview with Trump attorney Christina Bob. It's not clear what information they hope to gain, whose role in Trump's handling of classified documents is under review in the different federal DOJ probe. Reports are that Bob plans to deny that request, according to her lawyer, John Loro. One echo here is Trump's lawyers getting lawyers. Now, we've got a lot going on here. I want to bring in Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter Greg Bluestein, who's been covering this case, Charlie Savage, Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times-Washington correspondent, and here with me for the hour, a former Southern District civil attorney and former mayoral candidate in New York, Maya Wiley. Uh, welcome to all of you. Uh, Greg, walk us through why this matters. We're talking about a filing in a case where there's actually no case, or that is to say no, uh, no case of the DA versus Donald Trump as a defendant. Yeah, exactly. And that's what was so surprising. There's no case yet. There could be, but there's no case yet. The, the, the district attorney here in Fulton County, Fannie Willis, has said that charges or, could, or a decision could be imminent, but imminent in prosecutorial standard time is very different than imminent in our standard time. Um, but look, my first reaction to this is they must be very worried. They're going on the attack right now. Uh, it, it's a, a sign that Trump's legal team isn't going to wait around. Uh, and see whether the former president is getting indicted. They're going to go on the offensive right now, and they're going to try to do everything they can to damage or even end this ongoing investigation, which yeah, has gone me, on for months and has involved 75 witnesses. Let me draw you out on that very point, because we got we got a lawyer here. We're going to get into the law, but but right off top, uh, I mean, you're a, a, a nonpartisan reporter. You're, you're covering all sides of the case, but you view this move uh, when there is no filing against Trump from the government. You view it as a sign of some level of worry. Uh, uh, certainly, because we've already heard from grand jurors, not, of course, saying that Donald Trump will get indicted, but indicating that big names, uh, Emily Kors, one of the records saying, um, you know, people will be will not be surprised by the names. We've heard from uh, the five other special grand jurors, former grand jurors who have said it's going to be a massive list. And so, you know, if you're if you're his legal team looking at those interviews, how could you not be worried about what could come? Yeah, Um I want Charlie to read to you another part of this, because, again, it's a massive uh, filing in the first real uh, substantive way they've weighed in. Uh, they say Trump was inextricably intertwined with the investigation since its inception. The efforts of investigation relate to his bid for a second term as president of the U.S. Um, I wonder if that, in your view, is, is aimed more outside court than inside court. I don't think it's a serious claim that matters from 2020 uh, are somehow uh, triggered or sparked by his running for office. But there are people out in America who might think, oh, gosh, if this is coming out now, is it because he's running right now? A kind of a non-legal or what we might call a PR argument. What, what do you see here, Charlie? All right, I, I would assess that language. In fact, a lot of this filing in exactly the same way you just did. This is a pattern of Trump's legal teams. And I say that plural because he's had so many different ones in all these different types of litigation around the country that he's involved in, some criminal, some civil. And it is very common 
for those filings to be written in a way that seems unusual for our courtroom. They're making arguments that are quotable, that jump out. They're good for newspaper writers like me because they're, they're not turgid, they're, they're punchy, but they don't really make a legally cognizable point. And hmm. that one it seems like it fits within the pattern of this dirty up this case uh, and create suspicion around it in the mind of the public that it is, uh, you know, politicized in nature, even if it's not attachable to a particular legal principle we're trying to advance. You, you uh, notice it as, as trying to be quotable. Oh, absolutely, because it is quotable. Look, you just quoted it. It's, you know, it's good. <laughs> it's good fodder for commentary and for political coverage. It's not necessarily uh, something that's going to move the needle when a judge is looking at the facts in the law. Yeah, well, as you know, Charlie, there's a great De La Soul song where they say every word I say should be a hip-hop quotable. Uh, and there is a there is a, a panache and a pride writers take in many forums of being able to, out, out of the 10,000 words, this is the one they know is going to go there. Uh, and lawyers do that in and out of court. But when you look at this overall in the context of all the investigations, Charlie, do you see Georgia as something that is heating up or winding down, or you just can't tell? I think it's definitely heating up. In fact, for a while, we thought it was going to go first. And then suddenly, kind of out of left field, the, the New York case heated up again, and now it looks like it's going to go first. But all the indications are that Annie Willis is serious, that the special grand jury has recommended uh, a series of charges that she now needs to think about whether she wants to take to a regular grand jury and actually obtain an indictment. But this, this is a long and intensive investigation that gathered quite a lot of evidence, and the writing the smoke signals at least seem to be that she is quite serious about pursuing election charges and possibly even racketeering charges. Yeah. Uh, Maya, I want to bring you in and mention that, you know, if this was legal Coachella, the only reason that we're given Georgia third, fourth billing in the news today is that there's other big acts, right? If you have Beyonce in New York and, you know, you only get to it later, but on any other stage, on any other normal day, random Monday, this would be a huge deal. I almost have noticed people are, it's not really ricocheting the same way, but uh, as mentioned, I want your analysis of it. You don't usually see people, especially politicians, but people in general kind of jump in and say, hey, I don't know if you're going to indict me. Here's a big filing. Um, that is very unusual. And again, I want to be fair. It's not prejudicially unusual. They have every right to avail themselves of the courts, but it's certainly striking. What, what do you see here? I want to say first that Beyonce is a Southerner. Respect. So let's go. Just saying. <laughs> um, but look, here's the thing. Everyone is right. At, from a legal vantage point, it is bizarre mm -hmm. to file a motion saying, I haven't been indicted, but I'm going to call all that has just happened unconstitutional, frankly, and only to prevent my indictment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the only way, except that, of course, it will fail because it's a very weak motion. And so the primary purpose is to do what the Donald always does, which is the three D's. Deny distract and delay. So this is serving one, two, right? He has said a perfect call. We've heard this from him before, but perfect call to Georgia to say, find me a specific number of votes plus one more than what I need to win an election where we have also just learned that his own campaign had a report the day before he made that call saying, Fulton County, Georgia, at best, 
at best maybe 10 dead people voted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was one point where they were quoted as saying thousands of dead people voted. But in, in other words, we know that there is a stream of evidence there <laughs> that gives that should give him reason to be concerned about being indicted. Uh, and so there's nothing in here that looks like a viable legal claim and lots to indicate that he should be fearful of indictment. And I just want to make one other point about the legal claim. This special purpose grand jury that they're saying is unconstitutional and it's vague and all these. We've had them for 50 years in this country, not just in Georgia, across many states, but including in Georgia and at the federal level. So it would be kind of astounding to all of a sudden, half century later, decide they're unconstitutional because they're inconvenient. Hmm. Yeah, all fair points. Um, Greg, on the ground there, I will say that. It was certainly unusual to have this many grand jurors speaking out. Uh, and this filing, again, to, to the points I think all three of you have referred to, may, maybe for other public reasons, raises this point. Um, in, in truth, if you want to get into it, and we've got time, let's get into it. Uh, the, there are more permissive rules uh, on what grand jurors can say in this jurisdiction in other parts of the country. If, if you go to school, it's called federalism. The rules may differ depending on where you are. Um, so those are the rules. Having said that, in fairness to Mr. Trump uh, and and the lawyers that he's uh, are making this point, it certainly created some spectacle, if not more, to see all this uh, stuff and all these folks speaking out even before this case was resolved. Here, for example, is some of the footage of the memorable four person. I will tell you, it's it's not a short list. More I mean, we saw seventy five people, and there are six pages of the report cut out. Mm. I think, if you look at the page numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's not. So we're talking about more than a dozen people? I would say that, yes. Did the grand jury recommend an indictment of former President Trump? I'm not going to speak on exact indictments. Would we be surprised? Are there bombshells of who is being indicted? I don't think that there are any giant plot twists coming. I don't think that there are any, like, giant that's not the way I expected this to go at all I I don't think that's in store for anyone Greg yeah reminder by the way that the special grand jury recommends whether Fannie Willis should uh, pursue charges now it's up to her to decide whether or not uh, to pursue those charges so even if they recommend you know, 65 people on that list is still up to Bonnie Willis, the DA, to decide whether to, to, to move forward with those charges. But look, you know, there's, what, six different special grand jurors who've spoken, one on the record, five anonymously to the Atlanta General Constitution. But I can tell you this, the Fulton County judge, Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney, talked to all the grand jurors about what they could and could not say. So he set specific guidelines for what they could say and what they couldn't say. And it seems to me, it seems to legal experts, I should say, even more importantly than me, that they have been following those guidelines. Yeah, I'll push you a little bit on that. I, I think that may be the case. The judge's uh, public views certainly seem protective or helpful to those individuals. But um, this is not just a case. And I think if you imagine the thought experiment uh, of a different individual in a different context, right? Oh, we've got some breaking news. Uh, Robert Costello, I believe, is speaking after having spoken to the grand jury today. Let's listen in. Five packets of materials. Uh, I would say that in total... It was probably about four inches thick. Uh, I tried to get 
the Manhattan District Attorney to give the materials to the grand jury. That's the whole reason I produced these, most of which were compiled in 2018 and 2019. In 2018, I gave essentially the same information to the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, only after they notified me that Michael Cohn had executed a waiver of the attorney-client privilege. For reasons, I have no idea. Um, frankly, it was a very stupid move by Michael Cohn, because now we're able to tell the truth about what Michael Cohn was saying at any point in time starting in April of 2018. So that's why I wanted to get those materials that I gave to the U.S. Attorney's Office and sat for a two-hour interview with them back in 2019, after which, you may have noticed, the Southern District of New York didn't do any business with Michael Cohn. There's a reason for that. He's totally unreliable. Today, after giving all those materials to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, out of 321 emails, they cherry-picked six emails to ask me about. And, of course, they took them out of context. When they took them out of context, I told the grand jurors, I don't know whether this will ultimately come to fruition or not, I told them to ask for the entire packet, and I held it up. I said, there's 321 emails. You need to see each and every email, which follow in chronological fashion and give you the life history of Michael Cohn dealing with our firm. Oh yeah, I understand that coming, earlier baby. there were some comments made an by coming, the folks baby. out here that uh, you were waiting for Trump's lawyers. We are not Trump's lawyers. Coming, baby. We do not represent Trump. We have never represented Trump. So what's the headline? The of what he's saying. How do you contradict that? Do you uh, what I'm going to do, ultimately, is release the materials that I gave to the Manhattan DA's office and to Trump's lawyers to the media and let you guys read everything. Oh. Because my only mission there today was to tell the truth about what Michael Cohn was saying at any point in time during the time that we What's were representing here, And what is that? Oh, very simple. In um, April of 2018, April 17th, I believe, we met with Michael Cohn for the first time at the Regency Hotel at his request. Uh, Michael was in a manic state. He told us that he had contemplated suicide, that he had been up on the roof of the Regency Hotel the weekend before, seriously considering jumping off because he couldn't face the enormity of the legal problems he knew were, were coming his way. His office had been searched, his home had been searched by the FBI pursuant to a search warrant, and he was imagining the worst for himself, although at that moment in time, he still hadn't been charged with any crimes. So... Michael Cohn, uh, in that state of high anxiety, when he said to us numerous times, I'm looking for a way out. I need an escape hatch. How do I do this? I need to know what my options are. And his options were, as he mentioned, he said, do I have a chance for a pardon? Do I have a chance for commutation? I'm not sure he understood what that term actually meant. Do I have a chance for a cooperation agreement? He said, I don't understand why they did this to me because I was already cooperating with the House and with the FBI. Of course, he forgot to mention that he lied to the House, uh, for which he was later convicted. So I, of course, following my obligations as an attorney, explained each of his rights and what he could do. But do you have now, any evidence that he did not pay off Stormy Daniels on behalf of Mr. Trump? Well, here's That's what he the heart did. of it. Yeah, the heart of it is that Michael Cohn told us that he was approached by Stormy Daniels' lawyer, and Stormy Daniels had negative information that she wanted to put in a lawsuit against Trump. So Michael Cohn decided on his own, that's what he told us, on his own, 
to see if he could take care of this. So he sat with the lawyer for Stormy Daniels. They negotiated a non-disclosure agreement for $130,000. So I said, Michael, where did you get the $130,000? Is that Trump's money? No, it's not. Well, where did you get it? Did you take it out of your own account? No. Again, how did you get it? I took out a HELOC loan for $130,000. I said, why would you do that? He said, because I wanted to keep this secret, even secret from my own wife. He said, if I took $130,000 out of my account, she'd know right away, and I'd have to tell her what's going on. I didn't want Melania to know. I didn't want my wife to know. With all due respect, Bob, yeah. he signed a, uh, a waiver of your agreement. He did. But you're still violating the trust that he put in you. No, I'm not. He's, I am... I am honoring my ethical obligation. I've listened to Michael Cohn stand in front of the courthouse and say things that are directly contrary to what he said to us. My obligation is to bring the truth to both the district attorney and to Trump's lawyers. That's exactly what I did. I sent them all of this material that I talked about before. I have, I don't know, 330 emails in chronological order. I have a memo of, a contemporaneous memo of the first meeting at the Regency Hotel. I have a memo of the two-hour meeting I had with two assistant United States attorneys and two FBI agents in April of 2019. Um, I have a memo of a meeting that I had in May of 2019 with the House Intelligence Committee, three of their staffers, one of whom was Dan Goldman, who's now a congressman. So based uh, on your testimony, there may be another witness on Wednesday. Do you know who that might be? No. Allegedly, the other witness is Michael Cohn, who's going to come in and say, I guess, what can he say? That I'm lying? I have the documents. Now, the problem here is that the district attorney has so far not provided all of those documents to the grand jurors. I have nothing to, nothing to hide. All of those documents were provided to the U.S. Attorney's Office. They did the smart thing. They looked at Michael Cohen. They said he's a convicted perjurer, and there must be a 100 instances in those documents of him lying to us. So they said, we just can't trust this guy. You can't rely upon him. Well, that's an interesting question. You have, well, we counted them up, 21 people sitting there. I mean, you can certainly tell some people were nodding their head yes, as you are right now, uh, and some people just sit there with a stone face. Um, I think two or three of them had masks on, so you couldn't couldn't read anything. But I was very surprised that one of them didn't say, yeah, give us the rest of the documents. We had an argument oh, in front of the grand jurors about why they're not they giving them documents. He said, some of that Come stuff on, is hearsay. You spinning, nigga? I said, really? Actually, those documents were made and maintained in the regular course of business. They constitute business records. Business oh, records are an exception to the hearsay rule. So in other words, I'm saying give everything shit, to the grand jurors. Yeah, Let them see indicted. exactly who Yo. Michael Cohn is and was at that man. moment. And that during that first meeting, this is important. <laughs> he said, we were there for two hours at the Regency Hotel. He said maybe every three or four minutes he'd be talking to us while pacing like a wild tiger in a cage, back and forth, back and forth. He was really frazzled. He looked like he hadn't slept in three, four, five days. And he'd just suddenly stop in the middle of talking about something, point at us, and he'd say, I want you guys to know, I will do whatever the F it takes. I will never spend one day in jail. He must have said that close to 20 times. This was his mantra all day long. Yo, you the, think a guy whose mindset when your lawyer right at that moment is Jesus a lie, cheat, steal, Yo, shoot somebody, whatever it takes, I'm not going to jail. Well, he went to jail, and now he's on the revenge tour. 
I understand go. it, but I don't condone it. And that's why I went in there today to tell these people the truth about who the real Michael Cohen is and what he was actually saying at that moment in time. Did you get any questions for Yeah, we, we probably got, I don't know, what did you say, six or eight, Adam? I'd say ten. Ten? Maybe ten. You got ten questions? Oh, I don't know. Can you remember exactly the questions? They were, I mean... I don't remember. Just clarifications, but they were asking clarifications about the six emails. There's 330 emails. And I said, folks, you can't take six emails out of context and ask a question. No wonder you're confused. If you read all the emails, you would see that they followed in a chronological fashion and they made sense. One email would be in response to something that just happened before. When you cherry pick, have you been in touch with Mr. Trump? No, not yet. Uh, I'm sure that I will speak to my client, Rudy Giuliani, and and tell him, and uh, at some point, I'm sure Trump will know. Yeah. Did Rudy urge you to do this? No. I, I'm the one who decided to do this. A lot of people cautioned me against it because I had nothing to gain. The only thing I'm doing is trying to tell the truth to the grand jurors because I read all these lies in the, in the media that are being promoted by one side. If you see the full picture... You know, listen, if they want to go after Donald Trump and they have solid evidence, so be it. But Michael Cohn is far from solid evidence. This guy, by any prosecutor's standard, and I used to be deputy chief of the criminal division in the Southern District of New York, I wouldn't have touched a guy like Michael Cohn, especially if he's a convicted perjurer. Not to mention, as I said, the 50 to 100 lies he told us that are in those 330 emails. I, I can't say that because you really you just don't know. I can't read people's minds. I could see certainly a few of them were doing what you're doing right now, shaking your head up and down, uh, but not everybody. So I just don't know. I would love for those people to watch TV or something tonight or just remember what I said and say to the prosecutors, listen, we'd like to see the rest of those emails. Don't cherry pick six emails out of 330 and then ask Costello questions about it. That's not fair by anybody's standard. You plead until the press. I have a, a so statement here. Just to clarify, Michael Cohen paid Stormy Daniels with his own money, not at the behest of Mr. Trump. That's what, That's he, told what he told us. You. Yes, not his own money, money that he borrowed pursuant he to a HELOC He took a loan. Yeah. And why did you take the loan, Michael? I, didn't, I wanted this secret. I didn't even want my own wife to know. Got Much it. less Melania Trump. Got it. Thank you. you know? Yes, absolutely. He said that. He said that? It, it, you know, that's what he said at the time. Is it true? I don't know. Got it. Did you tell the grand jury that? Yes, I did. But I had to force that into an answer. They were getting upset because they'd asked me a limited question based on one of these six emails, and I would volunteer information that I thought the grand jury needed to hear. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Are you asked No, I don't think so. I think this was, this was it. We were there from maybe 2.15 to, what, about 4.50? Yep. Oh, that's brief, okay. I have a statement here which I'll hand out to Thank whoever you. wants it. Thank you. Okay. Everybody we have been done? listening to yeah. a man who says he was advising Michael Cohen, but no, now can speak freely because he says Michael Cohen waived any attorney-client privilege. That man is Bob Costello. We're going to break down what he just said. i got to tell you, this was another extraordinary turn in what is an extraordinary case in New York. But Mr. Costello 
uh, detailing what he described as Mr. Cohen's state of mind, a frenzied and panicked state. Uh, he directly referred to, quote, uh, suicidal thoughts, end quote, uh, that Mr. Cohen shared with him at the time that he was facing legal pressure. How any of that is directly relevant to the hard evidence against Mr. Trump and what the DA does would be a point of debate. Um, I will say Mr. Costello, as a legal matter, talked a lot more about mood and atmospherics than hard evidence. But nonetheless, it's striking. The other thing we should tell viewers for context is we are kind of covering this for you in real time. Mr. Costello is on the Trump allied side of things. We definitely want to hear and weigh what he's saying, but he's not a random or independent witness. He has turned on Mr. Cohen, much the way others have turned. He currently represents Mr. Giuliani, who, of course, is on the other side of so many Trump legal problems. And he's previously represented Trump allies like Mr. Steve Bannon. Um, he has worked his way into this process. He is telling us, and that's why it's newsworthy, and we wanted you to hear it yourself, he is telling us what he says he just told this grand jury that's meeting that is in the final throes of deciding things that may lead or not to an indictment. And so he says uh, one of the key claims is that he is corroborating the later Trump defense that Michael Cohen basically that did this all himself. You may have heard the reference Ain't to no alone to keep it a no secret from everyone, way. Mr. Cohen's wife, Mr. Trump's Excuse wife, the idea uh, that the initial acts, whether they were criminal or not, were basically initiated and created in secret by Michael Cohen. And anything else that Trump did later was basically catching up to what Mr. Cohen did. That could matter depending on the legal theory of the case. Again, we just got this sort of brand new from Mr. Casello walking out. He was speaking, I'm told, in front of his law office after previously addressing the grand jury earlier today. Other color, he mentioned that he was speaking to about 21 jurors, that they seemed attentive, they were paying attention. Uh, and he made his view, his criticism, that he had to add or push in the points he wanted to make uh, because he didn't feel that the prosecutors were leading him to those points. Uh, really striking and coming at us live. And I want to bring back one of our New York legal experts, uh, Maya Wiley. Your reaction to what we just heard? Uh, well, it was a lot. Uh, and it was a lot in the sense that it, the clarity that um, Mr. Costello was saying, I'm calling Michael Cohen a liar, was very clear. We don't know what those emails say. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is important because he was, what he was describing just in this news exchange and just in the interview exchange there live was Michael Cohen being very upset after his offices and a hotel room had been raided by the FBI. That's the live action of what was happening when Mr. Costello says he was agitated, he was upset. Sure he was. Mm -hmm. Of course he was. Anyone would be. The question is, you know, what is Michael Cohen going to say about what he meant by the fact that he was trying to keep all this under wraps when he says this is the relationship he had with Donald Trump and he went in person to get his reimbursement for that hush money payment that Donald Trump personally wrote the check for and signed. So I think that at the root of this is you have a very damaging testimony from Mr. Costello, no question. He's absolutely right that Michael Cohen made a big mistake that would be a mistake for anyone. Never waive your attorney-client privilege. Uh, but Mr. Costello, who in that room was is saying after in that same conversation, it was reported that he said, you have friends in high places. At, uh, and I'm communicating that from Rudy Giuliani. It is unclear what all the colors that Michael Cohen will share, but it has always been true, always been true that one of the reasons the Southern District may not have 
gone after Donald Trump in addition to the fact that he was a sitting president is they may have said, we don't know if we can if Michael Cohen is going to come off to a jury with sufficient credibility. Yeah, and I'm Not curious. the same thing as hard evidence. Yeah, you raise that. I'm curious what you think about the difference between imputing Mr. Cohen's credibility, uh, which is a key part of any trial if he is offered as a, as a prosecution witness, um, and just trashing him on his worst day. Because <coughs> saying that he was panicked, that he said words about throwing himself off the uh, roof of the Regency, which Mr. Costello just said, um, is that, as, as I like to say around here, is that relevant to anything or is he just trashing Mr. Cohen? Yeah, what the work that I hear, I can't speak to his intent, but the, what I hear Mr. Costello saying is, I want to make sure nobody believes Michael Cohen. Right. So I'm going to give all of this. I'm going to paint this picture of Michael Cohen in a way that makes you say, I can't believe a word this guy says because he's a combination of out of his mind unbalanced and um, doing whatever he can to save himself, which, and I just want to, let's go in closer on this. If Michael Cohen is doing everything he can to protect himself, he certainly didn't do it very well mm -hmm. <laughs> because he actually didn't enter into the kind of deal um, that would have protected himself more. So it, it, he literally decided he was going to just go in all in and trying to expose Donald Trump. Now, whether the, the problem we have here is we need to know what is in those other emails. How much of what Mr. Yeah. Costello is saying is confirmed in those email exchanges? But as but if I'm sitting there as a lawyer, I am very concerned about the work that this does to the credibility of a witness if I'm going to use this witness. Right, no question. Okay, so, so I mean, that's very important. And by the way, as we've mentioned, Ms., uh, well, Mr. Cohen is appearing here tonight. He'll be able to speak for himself and rebut any of this, as is only fair. But as you mentioned, there's a legally valid part of this, which is taken together, especially if if there's other evidence that the that the office you used to work in, you were civil at uh, SDNY, they had some of this and they thought, well, this complicates it. And that according to Mr. Costello, the, the current grand jury is not seeing all that, nor need they legally, but that, that sooner or later, that's the stuff that comes out. All of that may go to undermining Mr. Cohen. It's also possible, and this is what's such a weird thing about litigating uh, deliberate secrecy agreements. It's also possible that the very underlying secrecy that Mr. Cohen was executing on behalf of Mr. Trump meant as Mr. Tacopino said to me last week, of course it's not true. It meant that sometimes you keep se <laughs> you keep secret or or mislead about items because that's the nature of the agreement. And so Mr. Cohen, again, I'm going to ask him about all of this, but Mr. Cohen might very well have said, yeah, no, those steps were taken precisely no, because you know it was what? that purpose. And I think what we're seeing here is through Mr. Costello, again, how messy it sounds, but Mr. Costello, who currently represents Giuliani oh. and has been an ally to Trump, um, Mr. Tacopino, who currently uh, represents Trump, what I'm hearing as a, a final response from you, I'm hearing a, a, the makings of a defense that says this thing wasn't really a crime. Other people, John Edwards and others, have done stuff like this. It's not a campaign crime. But if you do charge it as that, not only is it legally not a crime, but whatever was bad, Mr. Cohen went rogue and did. And so it's sort of a, you know, amidst the messiness, I don't know that Mr. Costello looked to everyone. People make up their own minds. I don't know that he looked like the most fair or charitable narrator of someone he claimed to use to help. Um, I don't know. People can make up their own minds about any of these lawyers. But what we're seeing 
rise from, from this process is a multi-tiered uh, legal and factual attack on what might be coming out of this office. Uh, I agree with you on both those counts, including and in particular that he's saying, you don't have a case because you don't have a credible witness, because I'm going to do the work to make it clear. Even if he felt as a matter of ethics that he should go and make sure this evidence is uh, put before the grand jury, but we know it was Trump's lawyers who wanted to make sure this was before the grand jury. Sure. So he was responding to Trump's lawyers exactly. here, not to, while he's talked about his ethics, we know that it was at the request of Trump's attorneys. Fair. They have the right to do that. No, I thought that wasn't that a little misleading and that he said, I'm just here as a person. And the real answer is, again, they are afforded this right. They have every right to use it. But then you have if you're going to speak in public, to be honest, uh, I think Mr. Casillo is at a minimum being cute um, because he's not a random witness. He's not like a security guard at Mar-a-Lago who got called in who just happened to be somewhere, a fact witness. He's being called in because the Trump lawyers think he can help them. And if he was just being ethical. If, if it was all his ethics, he didn't have to do a press conference. Yeah. He did a press conference because he wanted to make sure everyone knew that he had information he felt he could use to impugn the credibility of yeah. Michael Cohen. The very thing that Donald Trump is complaining in Georgia is being done to him. Interesting how that works. Uh, Maya Wiley, on more than one topic, I want to thank you for being with us. Stay here. Uh, I mentioned to folks I'm sitting in for Nicole as we continue our coverage. We have a live edition of The Beat coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern with Michael Cohen. But coming up next, Trump claims the politics here are still in his favor. History has something else to say about that. If your lawn looks more like a desert. I'm done with my news fucking goddamn broadcast. Look, that nigga Trump getting indicted, all the other shit is just y'all goddamn making money. And I got, I, I don't get no cut of that, so, yeah, I'm about to cut you out, y'all. Just appreciate y'all for spending all this time with me. Uh, Fizo, a.k.a. the Honorable Omar Sharif, we've uh, really, really nipped the AKs now. Please, I can dust, I can dust them off. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but seriously, have a good week. And, yeah, I can't wait to see when they actually put the handcuffs on this man. You feel me? That'll be the tell. If he don't got to put on handcuffs, he getting special treatment. Didn't he tell the cops, don't be gentle with him when you bring him in? Didn't he say that? Don't be gentle with this fucker. Cuff them shits just one size too tight. So all the the, the orange shit he spray on himself get on the cuffs. Because <laughs> whoever take that picture going to make a million bucks. He going to sue you for some of it, but fuck all that. Hey, your money. Y'all. All right, Fisa. <laughs> Trump having a bad week, nigga. Journey, I got you. Y'all.